It is Monday, December the 2nd, and this is the Monocle Minute today. Hezbollah is working with Iran to operate in ways that are regarded as destabilizing across uh, Iraq uh, and through the Levant and now in Syria. We'll ask what an organization has to do to get itself proscribed as terrorists, plus why the African Economic Conference is now more important than ever before, how we can make our cities feel safer, and our culture editor Kiera Rimella on why the location of art fairs matters more than you may think. I am Marcus Hippie. In London, the Monocle Minute starts now. Many governments maintain lists of proscribed terrorist outfits. The organizations and their members and officials can be subject to travel bans, bank account freezes and other sanctions. Now reports have once again surfaced that the German government is planning to outlaw all activities of Lebanon's Hezbollah group in the country after previously only banning its military wing. This has been denied by Berlin. It comes just to months after US Ambassador Richard Grenell renewed pressure on Germany to ban Hezbollah, which the US has classified as a terrorist organization. The former head of Rusi, Michael Clark, told us why the issue has raised its head again. It really comes round again because Hezbollah is working with Iran to operate in ways that are regarded as destabilizing across uh, Iraq uh, and through the Levant and now in Syria. And so the more that Iran has called upon Hezbollah to do the jobs that it wants them to do, and it has it has done that, Hezbollah has done it, um, so it's more difficult for Hezbollah to claim that it's it's only a Lebanese political party. It's operating across the region. So that, that's what lies behind American pressure. And I think the, uh, you know, Germany's decision, they, they really have a problem with this one, partly because they want to lead the EU on it, but also they do see that there is a sort of logic in the American position, even though they don't really like to take it. It's a matter of legitimacy. The fact is that Hezbollah does have 13 uh, MPs, members of parliament in, in Lebanon, um, and it does it does have political power. It's, the fact is you can accuse Hezbollah of many things, but lack of popular legitimacy in its territories in Lebanon is not one of them. So there is a sort of realistic uh, expectation that you have to do that. It's the similar problem with the Muslim Brotherhood across the Middle East. I mean, some states regard the Muslim Brotherhood as out-and-out terrorist. Other states do not. And one of the reasons for that is because the Brotherhood takes different forms in different countries. And so in some countries, it's very hard to deny that it's basically a terrorist organization. In other countries, it clearly isn't. Um, And I think Hezbollah falls into a category a bit similar to that, that it it does have a political legitimacy. It is sensible to try to recognize that. You may lose more, it is thought, by designating the whole organization a terror group. But remember that behind all of this, is, is really the competition with Iran. I mean, Hezbollah is the conduit for talking about Iranian behavior across the Levant. To the African continent next, where countries may well soon benefit more from their young populations. The African Economic Conference opens today in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. The annual conference has become an important cornerstone in formulating economic and social policy across the continent. This year, its theme is jobs, entrepreneurship and capacity development for African youths. The starchy title belies one of the most pressing issues facing the continent, the rapidly swelling ranks of its youth. 
Whereas much of the rest of the world is facing a demographic time bomb in the form of ageing populations, Africa's is young. 60% of its people are aged under 25 and, by 2050, one-third of the planet's youth will be from sub-Saharan Africa. This could be a poisoned chalice. Young populations offer incredible economic potential, but the absence of opportunity can lead to collapse. The work of the AEC is vital in addressing these demographic challenges. Up next, how to make cities feel safe. Monocle's Georgina Godwin is in Zurich looking for answers. Thank you, Marcus. I'm here in Zurich where, I must say, the streets are bustling with Christmas crowds. There are festive markets all over the city and while Zurich is a small city, it certainly doesn't feel like it at this time of the year. Now, a key part of the city's appeal is that it does almost always feel like a safe and cosy space. And, of course, last week's terrorist incident in London was major news here too. I'm joined now by Benno Zog, who's a researcher at the Centre for Security Studies at ETH in Zurich. Uh, Benno, we know now that the man responsible for last week's stabbing at London Bridge that killed two people has already spent time in prison for being involved in terrorist activity. Obviously, this is a hugely sad incident and it's very important that authorities now look into what the exact circumstances, particularly of his release, were and whether there were any mistakes made. Um, this tragedy aside, and mourning is obviously with the victims, um, we mustn't forget that such a thing as absolute security will never exist. So no matter how perfect this, these um, detention centres may be, prisons may be, courts may be, it only takes one person that kind of slips through the cracks or is willing to go all the way, maybe despite having uh, not shown any signs of radicalization in the previous decade or so. Mm. And we mustn't forget that. And we should be quite cautious as to what kind of measures one could take and recommend now, because there's always this temptation of almost overreacting. Obviously, politicians are now under pressure to kind of show that they take this seriously, that they take action, that they make... Uh, uh, legislation more restrictive, for example, that they increase numbers of police, but we should obviously be sensible here and apply the appropriate measures and not go too hasty. Hence, we have to see what the, the real backgrounds of this story are. And finally today, a view from Monocle's editorial floor. Here is our culture editor, Chiara Rimella. Who wouldn't want to go to Art Basel, Miami Beach? A week in the Florida sun, the world's best galleries gathered in a newly refurbished complex a few blocks away from the sand and, of course, those infamous parties. This fair's reputation as the wild child of the Art Basel family has always had enormous pull with collectors and journalists. But there's another reason why the fair's location makes it particularly attractive. Jutting into the Caribbean, Florida has always served as a meeting point between North and Latin America. The art inside the halls often reflects this. And the more that politics on both subcontinents becomes incendiary, the more this fair becomes a relevant spot to explore the relationship and contrasts between the US and its southern neighbours. The debut of a new section called Disruptions, held outdoors in the seafront Collins Park, should feed into this theme. Born out of a collaboration with Art Basel City's Buenos Aires, a new addition in the Basel roster, the exhibition will present works by Argentinian artists with the intent of showing how art can interfere with everyday life. Those heading to Miami Beach this week should expect their balance to be thrown off over the next few days, and not just because of morning-after hangovers. 
Monaco's culture editor Chiara Rimella there. That's all in today's program. You can read and subscribe to our daily email bulletin at our website monocle.com. I am Markus Hippi. The Monocle Minute returns on Tuesday. Thank you.